0: Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. And today, we're gonna be talking about booty calls, multiple marriages, and playing hard to get. Please rate and review this podcast if you get a chance and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at Shallon and follow me on YouTube for four new videos a week. This question comes from Rayan, and she said, so I'm seeing this guy I really like who's older than me and is a pretty well-known musician slash composer. I just moved to New York City like 10 minutes from him and we're going on some dates beforehand and he was planning future dates. But now that I'm close by, I'm afraid I'm being demoted to like booty call with all the benefits of talking all night, the intimacy, blah, blah, blah. So what can I do to flip the script so he sees me as someone a little bit more serious than that? This is a really good question. And I feel like I get a lot of, you know, messages from you guys that have this ripple, this undercurrent of nihilism, helplessness, fatalistic. It's like, I don't know. I'm just falling into this category. I don't know. How did it happen? It comes down to one simple truth. What we permit, we promote. No one becomes a booty call by accident or without their permission. We aren't just like pulled by magnetic force into an Uber at 11.30 p.m. on a Thursday. We make conscious decisions, right? So we can't act like this is all up to him or all up to like, you know, just fate or something like that. It's not. It's very much up to you as well. If you don't want to be a booty call, don't be. If he stops making dates, you stop answering his text messages. If he wants to act like a fuckboy, he's going to get called out like a fuckboy. And if he balks and tries to make you feel like oh because he's older and more important than you like you should lower your standards and you should just be lucky to stand in the light of his like penis you walk away you call that bluff because that's what like dating kind of is it's a series of bluffs like i'm going to say that this is what i require and hopefully you meet it and if not fuck like then i'm going to have to decide like do i walk away or do I just like, well, all right, I guess I'll be a booty call. And too many of the time, like too much of the time, girls do the latter. They're like, well, you're right. I I guess I don't need a date. And it's so funny how we describe that shrinkage, you know, that capitulation. Netflix and chill. Mini dates. Hang sesh. Are you kidding me? No. Call it, call a spade a spade. He's using me for sex. We use each other for sex. Okay, that's fine. That's fine if everyone is on the same page. Like, get it, girl. Be a slut. Do whatever you want. You're a red-blooded American girl. Get after it. But if that's not what you want, don't dress up your own boundary rollback in some cutesy little pop culture name, right? Because all that's going to do is make you feel like you should like what's going on. Well, I mean, Netflix and chill, like this is like a thing. Like, why, why don't I like it? Because you want to be girlfriend and date. That's why. You don't want to be Netflix and chill. Not many of us do at the end of the day. Like, maybe for a little while, maybe for just like a little slice of our needs. But you know, even when you just hook up with someone casually, of course you want more from them. It's it's a biological bonding phenomenon. This isn't your weakness. This isn't, you're just so desperate and pathetic. The desperate and pathetic people are the ones who are lying to themselves about what they want, right? There is no patheticness about claiming your needs. This is what I need. If we put this into perspective in any other thing that we need in our life, we would have a completely different viewpoint. It's like, no, I need a full-time job. Whoa, Kristen, you are like so desperate and pathetic. Like, no, I I need a job because I have bills to pay and I want to Get a bigger apartment. Wow, you just, you sound crazy right now. No one would say that. Gosh, I'm hungry. Wow, really, Hannah? You're hungry? Crazy. Why don't you just be a little bit more chill and just like not eat for three days? It would be insane to take that viewpoint. Why are we taking it with our emotional needs? Why are we taking it with our dating life? You want a boyfriend? Have a boyfriend. And it just might be that this dude ain't it. You know, he might just be kind of a douchebag. But look, you're not a slave to his schedule or to his reputation. You set your standards, you set your boundaries, and the key is you do this before the situation arises. I mean, I can't turn down a booty call if I'm already like drunk out at a bar and waiting for a dude's text. Like, I am the most malleable, like, rubbery goo person on planet Earth. Like, okay, I'll go over there. But if I tell myself ahead of time, yo, I'm going home at 11 PM, no matter what, I'm not making any plans. I'm taking that makeup off the second I walk through the door so that no one is coming over. I'm not shaving my legs. I'm much more likely to stick to it. Boundaries are almost impossible to set in the moment. If you think of like a battlefield and like a boundary or a fortress, they don't build it right after the battle starts. They build it ahead of time. They get everything in a row. They know what the fortress can do and what it can't do. They know what the boundaries are. They know what they're going to permit and they know what they're going to promote. And we as individuals, certainly in women living in the golden age of fuckboys, got to be doing the same thing. So Lexi sent me this question, and I think a lot of you guys can relate to this. I mean, I know I can. She said, hey, Shallon, so I'm super secure in my life without a guy, and if I don't like someone, like, that's fine. Like, I'm totally chilling if I'm single. But once I meet a guy who's cute and sweet, I, like, go crazy. I become completely consumed with trying to get him and playing hard to get. And like, that's happening right now. Like there's this guy, I'm obsessed. He's taller than me because I'm pretty tall. And I'm just like, I know I'm doing everything wrong in terms of how I'm playing it. So how can I not get so obsessed? Because every time I like a guy, this is what happens. So yeah, I definitely understand this because I'm basically the same way. Like I'm perfectly fine on my own. I'm not like, I don't have a boyfriend. My life has no meaning. Like I'm chill. But then when I do see someone I like, I go like berserk like emotionally. I don't like hopefully do this in real life anymore. But like, yeah, like they consume my thoughts. I just get such an intense crush. And I think the key is to find a middle balance or at least like that has been the key for me. I honestly do better in terms of how I'm playing things when there's a few different guys that I'm talking to. Or at least like I'm on Tinder and I'm swiping around a little bit. Because then I don't go so all in on one person and I don't have all my emotional eggs in their basket, so to speak, you know? Because I am not good at playing hard to get. I don't think very many people are. I have to be actually hard to get, you know? I have to like have a lot of different guys on the line. And even if it's just someone that I'm exchanging a flirty DM with here and there, like that's enough to allow me to shift my focus in that moment where I'm having that really like a craving to talk to my primary dude and just no. We're gonna check our DMs, we're gonna flirt over comments section, we're gonna swipe on Tinder. It's like if you have a craving for like a bad food or a cigarette or something, you just need something to distract you in that moment to get through it and then you're like, all right, I can make a better decision now. And if that means you gotta to talk to a few different dudes, all right, that's fine. <clears throat> it gives me a little bit more neutrality and objectivity, which really is the key to being alluring. Because remember, also, guys should be trying to get us. Like, I think it was significant in her message when she's like, I'm trying to play hard to get, but to get him at the same time. Look, I mean, I have historically lived my entire life from that point of view. Like, I need to get him. What can I do? I got to get him. And now, and I say this all the time, like, it's after my marriage fell apart when every bad thing that I was afraid of happened. I mean, it it all happened. All of my fears came true, and it's like, There's nothing left to be afraid of. And now I don't need anybody. I want somebody, but I don't need them. So like that has given me the proper attitude where it's like, what are you doing for me, dude? Are you courting me? Are you making me feel secure and loved and valued and listened to and courted? Because if you're not like, well, I'm not going to go do that. You think you're the only dude out there? There's no heart left to break here. Bye. I know I sound probably like kind of weird and bitter and I swear I'm not like, I swear sometimes a heartbreak can like put you in a different plane of consciousness, a plane where like, honestly, guys have existed forever. Like their attitude is usually going into things like, well, I like her, but I don't need her, you know, so I'm not going to like shuck and jive and twist my life around. Like she's got to, you know, bring something to the table for me. Well, baby, we're flipping the script. We're flipping it back to the way nature intended it. So definitely go into that attitude of like, he's the one coming after me. I am the bait. He is the fish. It's not our job to chase guys, to manipulate situations so that we can get their attention and make them like us, make them like us. If we find ourselves doing that, from my experience, that means they're just not into it. You know, I've never been like manipulating and going through all these motions and the machinations and had it work out, at least not in the long term. Like, yeah, like maybe we'll date for a little while, but it's like, I always felt like I was like, had this like death grip on the situation. Like I couldn't ever just relax into something because on some level I knew that if I let go, if I loosen that grip, they'd fly away. And like, that's not a healthy relationship. And I didn't, I truly didn't know that until I I got into my first healthy relationship and I was like, oh, oh, this is what everyone's talking about. It's not supposed to feel manic and terrible, you know, because it's not a healthy construct. So back to how to like play the hard to get and distract yourself. Like I said, I don't play it. I have to be hard to get. And you know my theory, interesting people have interests, right? So I get a guy interested and you know magnetized to me because I have a lot of things to say. I'm going a lot of places. I'm doing stuff. I have opinions. I've got things going on in my life. And that's not just so that I appear interesting and I'm crafting the persona of being interesting. It goes back to what I said, actually being hard to get. My schedule is busy. No, I can't see you later today. Sorry. Like, I'm busy. You want to see me? You book me four days out like everyone else at minimum. You know, and it's funny, like my last relationship with the guy, Joe, who I never followed, or no, I'm sorry, who I did follow on Instagram and it like ruined our relationship, that was one of the things, like he would expect me to be able to do stuff last minute. And one time I just like snapped and I was like, I am not like you. I have things in my life that I'm doing. Okay. I'm sorry you dropped out of school to be an actor and you have all the time in the world. My life doesn't work like that. And uh, to the surprise of no one, it's pretty hard to come back from statements like that. <laughs> but like, but I, it was true. You know, it was true. And I'm like, it's disrespectful to my time and my schedule that you expect me to just drop everything when you snap your fingers and want to see you and fly out to LA or whatever it is. Like, no. And when I would try to plan things, you'd be like, I can't plan that far ahead. I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you, bro. Anyway, we're getting off topic. So one of the things you can do to keep yourself not just playing hard to get, but being hard to get is like do something physical. I, and I say this all the time, like physical exercise, which I just realized I canceled my workout today. I'm such a hypocrite, but it's good because it really, it helps you build endorphins. So you look at a situation from a more positive light and it just kind of clears out that stagnancy in your brain because when the body stagnates, so does the mind. So don't stress too much about making him like you. And if you are, fill your life with things that make it impossible for you to sit in spiral. Because a girl on the go is a girl that guys want to be around. Chloe submitted this next question and she said, girl, I'm going to need some real truth and I know you're going to give it to me. I'm 39 years old and I'm on my third marriage. Yes. Third. My first marriage, we dated in high school and I got pregnant and married at 21. And at the time, he worshipped the ground I walked on. He treated me like a queen. We had our son though and I had severe postpartum depression and that just really changed everything. Like he ended up leaving me and I found out that he was cheating and eventually married his mistress. It just wrecked me. Marriage number two, I met him really quickly, and I thought he was the answer to my broken heart, but he ended up being verbally abusive, an alcoholic, cheated on me. Ugh. We had a child, so I tried to stay around, but we divorced after six years. Now, here's husband number three. When we met, I thought he was sent from heaven. He loved me. He loved my sons, and I thought I really had found the one, but almost three years later, I've learned that he's an alcoholic, a gambler, a porn addict, extremely verbally and emo- emotionally abusive, and of course cheating. So both husband number two and three, I met online and literally dated and married them within three months. I know it was dumb, but (laughs) I'm just giving you the facts. So now I can identify the issues of my husband's, but at the end of the day, it's not about them. It's about me. Why do I pick these men that abuse, reject, and cheat on me? Because I want to look in the mirror and take ownership because the common denominator is me. I should mention that having a dad who believed that a woman's sole purpose in life was to be seen and not heard, and that they're a commodity and not an individual with purpose and worth, kind of messed me up probably. So tell me what to do here. What's going on? Girl, you've been through it. You've been through it. But I think you've done the hard part, which is acknowledging that, yeah, you are the common denominator here. And believe me, I talk to people all day long who have no interest in looking that in the face. And how, why would we, who wants to be like, oh, actually the problem is me. But I say this a lot. Like we really do owe it to ourselves for our own personal growth to do an autopsy of our own behavior and see whether or not we're complicit in getting to this bad place. If something happens once, you don't know, maybe, maybe we're not. If patterns are repeating, well, we're setting the pattern. We're the common denominator, you know? So it's icky and terrible to look back and be like, am I the architect of my own misfortune? But again, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. You're just going to keep repeating this. So don't come crying to me. <clears throat> so what jumps out to me in her message is the common theme of being like a guy is going to save you and focusing on how he treats you, which, yes, of course, of course, we need to look at how a guy treats us. But we also need to look at our interpersonal connection with them. Are they just a getaway car out of our life, you know? What is a man actually going to save you from? I think getting married so young, like you're probably mad consciously or not that you didn't have a lot of time or freedom to figure out where you wanted to take your life and your career. You were a mom before most people were even like a legal adult or a college freshman. Like you, you skipped some steps, you know? And when that happens, we're always going to feel dependent on a guy because he's our everything. We don't have anything else of our own. We never developed it. And honestly, family like doesn't count. I know how that sounds because it's like, I'm a mom and my son is my world. Well, I mean, yes, yes, love-wise, of course, but he can't be your whole world. It's not healthy for a child. You, You can't be a helicopter parent. And it's not healthy for us to have nothing else but other people that we're relying on. Nothing that belongs to us and us alone that no one can take away from us that is independent of like a child coming home in a bad mood or going away to college and not wanting to talk to us. or like a husband leaving us, we have to have our own thing going on. That's not the only thing we were put on this earth to do is to be moms. And it's, it. I don't know, it always struck me as strange when girls like I was born to be a mom. I'm like, really? Maybe I'm just like too far on the other side of the spectrum. But like, I was born to achieve. And my definition of achievement changes. And, you know, when I was younger, it was, move to New York City. That was an achievement. Get out of my small town. Then it was write a book. Then it was be the editor of a magazine. Then it was like, I wanted to achieve now. It's being YouTube star. And maybe, maybe in two years, it's going to be like, I want to achieve a family. I want to achieve a beautiful house that I've helped built and create and like a homestead. You know, and so it can change, but it can't work backwards. You know, you can't wait too late and be like, oh wait, who am I actually? You got to figure that shit out up front right? So what are you put on this earth to do? Basically, what did you want to be when you grow up? Are you pursuing that? Do you feel like you ever had the agency and the chance to do so? So I think her ad- her dad's attitude towards women greatly like just influenced this whole situation. Like, Not even in terms of who she's picking as a partner, but like because you didn't get to pick your own careers and your goals. You know, that was never something that was encouraged. So in that sense, you sort of end up clinging onto the guy who can save you, essentially from yourself, from the work you didn't want to do. So what did you want to do way back before you met your first husband? Back to when you were a little girl and you had dreams that no one had stepped on yet. What were they? Get back to there. Reorient your things to change, to, excuse me, reorient your life to change those things not chase boys, because once you do that, once we all do that, we will be able to evaluate not only our past relationships more effectively, but everyone we meet going forward. We will be able to see a human for what they are, a complement to an already full life, not a completion. All right. Shayna submitted this question. I think you guys can kind of identify with this situation on some level at some point. Here we go. So she said, when I was 16, I became intimate with a guy I went to school with. We spent the summer before his senior year fooling around, AKA he would come into my house with a joint. We'd chat, we'd smoke it. I give him a blowjob. He'd go home. He didn't talk to me at school yet. We remained involved on and off for a few years. Come 2016, we're together again to chat and smoke after work. During this time, I confronted him on how he made me feel, and I admitted that after some time, it was less about his taking advantage of me and more about my need for power in sexual situations. We went through phases of anger, guilt, all of it, you name it. The one time I thought it would amount to more, he ended up leaving my house after a blowjob, and it brought me to, to like being 16 again, you know? With that being said, we grew apart and I forgot about him. Eventually, recently, he reached out. His dad died a year ago and he's been sober for three years. He has to hang out, but my busy work schedule didn't have room for it, but I was free last night and he came to my apartment. Nothing sexual happened, but it felt like putting on an old pair of slippers, being with him again. Now, I guess my question is, what is going on? At this point, I've seen almost every single one of your videos, and if it didn't work then, it probably won't work now. I get that. But of course, I want to believe that this is finally the moment where everything comes together. So some real talk on this guy. This is not your Prince Charming. Putting on an old pair of slippers is not how a relationship should feel. Slippers? You deserve YSL strappy nude sandals. You deserve Manolo's. I kept waiting for the point in this message when you were going to tell me about how this amazing relationship developed and he was so interesting or like he made your life better, how he energized you. You learned things from him, literally anything, anything positive. But the profile I got is someone who's a user and a loser basically. And he's reaching out because he needs an emotional crutch because probably everyone else in his life realizes that too. And like, I don't think it's a coincidence that he's reaching out after his dad died. What does your parent remind you of? Childhood. So you're going to go back to someone who was there during childhood when she was 16. Probably a great time in his life when he was 17, 18, getting his dick sucked. All he had to do was get a girl a little bit high on some weed in the basement. I'd want to go back there too. That was probably a great time. Now, people probably don't have a lot of tolerance for his kind of behavior. Hence why he probably got sober. He hit some sort of rock bottom. You know, he did. And he probably lost everyone in his life. So here he comes, slithering on back. Consciously or not, he will use you as like a crutch and that stable old faithful from high school who would give and give and give and never really require anything in return. That is not a compliment. The biggest red flag is that this guy didn't talk to you when you were at school. That is how people treat prostitutes. And I hear this more often than I should. Oh, we hook up, but he won't speak to me. He'll Snapchat me. We have a streak, but he doesn't talk to me at school. That's how people treat whores. I'll fuck her, but I won't look her in the eye. I won't kiss her. I won't speak to her in public because she's disgusting. I'm embarrassed of being aligned with her. I don't want people to know that we have something going on. Is that really where we're at in terms of self-esteem, ladies? Really? Really? I'm not saying he's got to write your name in the sky, but he won't speak to you in public. But he will let you put your mouth on his genitals and ejaculate into that mouth. I'm calling it real talk right now. Does that sound vulgar? It is vulgar. And we need to walk in the light of the truth on how these people view us. What role we play in their lives. Do they view us as human people with love and empathy and feelings? No, no. They view us as a receptacle, as the means to an end for their needs, for their penis, for whatever, for their ego. Whatever is flaccid and deficient, they need us to pump it up, whether that's a body part (laughs) or the ego. And we're like, okay, maybe it'll work out. Girl, maybe not. And like, Why do we want things to work out with people like this? Can you imagine? I want you to like imagine telling that story at your wedding. Imagine your sister giving a toast at your wedding being like, so (laughs) Connor used to come over and I mean we weren't allowed to talk to him and so like Kaylin would suck his dick and then he'd leave, right? And so like he would never like speak to her at school. But here we are and they're married. I don't want that speech at my wedding. I don't want that speech at my funeral. I don't want anyone to describe my life in those terms ever. Not only because it's humiliating, because it's unrealistic. That's not how this trajectory ever goes. So, of course, this is like bringing up some turbulent emotions, right? How could it not? This is taking her back to like the worst possible time in her life, whether she realizes it or not. This, when she was 16, this was not a time of power, of love, of validation. This was a time of humiliation and degradation. And we might not have consciously latched onto it and like looked that in the face, but your body and your mind keeps a memory. Whether or not we choose to look at it, it keeps, it keeps a log. It's like bad eating. I might not want to write down those four slices of Papa John's in my eating log, but my body remembers Right? And it's the consequences are at work. So the reason she's feeling turbulent, you know, it's like, look, girl, you were engaged in this conflict of self worth telling you what you deserve, but your behavior was allowing something different, you know? So even if you want a relationship to feel like old slippers, that's not what this dynamic is. This was not a comfortable dynamic. Unhealthy behaviors can very often feel familiar, you know? But we as adults have to make healthier choices. You're not 16 anymore. You've grown, you've evolved, you've raised your standards for people who are going to be in your life, right? Of course. So part of me thinks that like you want to make this work to justify how awful your 16 year old self felt about yourself, you know, all the misery you went through. Because then it all adds up to something, right? It isn't just a painful and embarrassing chapter where you let someone take advantage of you because you wanted to be liked as all teenage girls do. But that is not the reality of it. And believe me, I've been there. I did almost the exact same thing with my high school booty call. I call him my high school boyfriend. He wasn't. We weren't boyfriend-girlfriend. We were in the same group of friends who would like hang out like as a group and we'd hook up in secret. He was not my boyfriend. But we got back together, if you can even call it that, when I was like 25. And it was a disastrous chapter in my life. He messed me up like so bad. I mean, He beat me up, actually. And not that this guy you know, is going to do that to her, but like the point is there's nothing there for us in the past. We have to stop chasing it. We can't revisit the past hoping to rewrite it. It is what it is. All we can do is learn from it. So if you haven't done that, that's where the focus needs to be. What did I learn? How have I evolved? Why will I never let that dynamic into my life again? Right? So not... Letting these people back into your life is crucial because once you do, you go back to square one. You obliterate everything you've learned and you start lying to yourself about the outcome. You start imagining that ridiculous speech at your wedding your sister is going to get. It's not going to happen. But what can happen is something so much better than ending up with a douchebag who feels like slippers. By the way, I hate wearing slippers. You're going to end up being your own pair of slippers. The comfort and the safety and the familiarity you feel, you're going to feel that with yourself. You're going to be a a home within yourself. Because you know what? These people, they had their shot. And boys like that, they don't change. Thanks for listening to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and like I said, connect with me on Instagram at Shallon where I let you guys vote on the next topic of my YouTube videos. And be sure to head over to YouTube, click like and subscribe for four new celeb psychology videos a week. Stay savage, ladies. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor,